0: Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I received a lot of reaction to last week's message. Some of it was good. titled the message, What Could Be Better Than Marriage? And the answer is being single. Had some of you tell me you wish you had heard that message before you got married. I think you were kidding. We have a typo in the bulletin. I think Maggie was trying to suggest, because she entitled this week's message, which is the continuation of last week's message, What Could Be Better Than Being Single?, hoping, I would say, being married. I think she wanted the rebuttal this Sunday. So let me say that this is not my opinion. This is coming from the Word of God in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians by the Apostle Paul. And Paul is not advocating non-marriage for everyone. He's simply giving us the advantages of being single. The relationship that God has designed for most people is marriage. Genesis 2.18 says, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In 1 Timothy 4.3, one of the things that false teachers will advocate in the last days is Forbidding marriage. And Hebrews 13.4 says marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is good and honorable, and it's God's design for most people. But we're told in this passage that there is a special gift of being single. In fact, look at verse 7 again. 1 Corinthians 7.7. 7. Yet I wish that all men were, even as I myself am, that is unmarried, However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Now, what's interesting is that everybody's got a gift. You've either got a gift of being married or you've got a gift of celibacy to remain single. And so at the end of this chapter, Paul is simply laying out to us, if you have that gift of being single the advantages of that lifestyle. Now, when you're single, you get pretty tired of the question that you get asked so often, and that is, why aren't you married yet? So I thought I would give you seven comebacks when you hear that question. Why aren't you married yet? Number seven. I wouldn't want my parents to drop dead from sheer happiness. Why aren't you married yet? Number six, it didn't seem worth a blood test. Why aren't you married yet? Number five, I already have enough laundry to do, thank you. Why aren't you married yet? I was hoping to do something meaningful with my life. I didn't write these. Why aren't you married yet? Number three, because I just love hearing this question. Why aren't you married yet? Number two, just lucky, I guess. And why aren't you married yet? Number one, it gives my mother something to live for. Reminds me of the Sunday school teacher who asked the fourth grade class, what does God say about marriage? One boy raised his hand very quickly and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) A first-grade teacher gave her class the first part of a familiar saying and then asked them to finish it. Here's what they came up with. These are first-graders. Better to be safe than punch a fifth-grader. It's always darkest before daylight saving time. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. <laughs> A penny saved is not much. <laughs> Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you have to blow your nose. Children should be seen and not spanked and grounded. (laughs) And a miss is as good as a missus. And that's Paul's point in this passage. A miss is as good as a missus. So if you have the gift... Of remaining single. Paul is laying out the advantages for that at the end of this chapter. You say, well, I don't have that gift. And I can't handle being single. Then Paul tells you to marry. Chapter 7, verse 9. He says, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And even if you you think you may have the gift of singleness... It's also okay to go ahead and marry even if you have that gift, according to chapter 7 and verse 28. You see, Paul is not giving commands in this section. He is giving guidelines. And as I said last week, this is the only gift that's optional. If you have it, you can remain single. If you have it, he also says it's not a sin if you go ahead and marry But there's some definite advantages to remaining single, and Paul presents those for us, and I want to go through them. The advantages in verses 26 to 34 are threefold. Number one, you have fewer problems. Look at verse 26. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. When there is persecution from the world, it's an advantage to be single. In a time of distress, a married person suffers more because of the concern for his or her spouse. You see, Paul was able to serve the Lord preaching the gospel through intense persecution. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he describes some of that. He says he was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked traveled all over the known world, in danger from robbers, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, lack of adequate clothing. If Paul had been married, it would have multiplied that persecution. J.B. Lightfoot put it this way. He said, a man who is a hero in himself becomes a coward when he thinks of his widowed wife and orphaned, children. So Paul says it's an advantage to be single in a time of distress, but then he adds in verse 28 that if you want to marry, it's okay. You have not sinned. I simply want to spare you the trouble. There is no such thing as a marriage without trouble, conflicts, problems, The last couple that I'm familiar with that lived happily ever after was Snow White and Prince Charming. Marriage does not erase our humanity. There will be times of tension, tears, struggle, disagreement, impatience within the marriage. And then on top of that, there's the outside conflict with the world around you. And so Paul says, if you stay single you will have fewer problems. Then second advantage, you'll have fewer preoccupations in verses 29 to 31. And there he tells us that life is short and this world is passing away. And marriage is part of this temporal world. So marriage will pass away. The only bride in heaven will be the church, the bride of Christ And so marriage should be viewed as a temporal commodity, just like emotions, possessions, and pleasures. If you are married, your responsibility is to have proper priorities in this life, to have eternal priorities. But that's difficult sometimes because of the preoccupations of your wife and your family. If you're single, Paul's point is that it's easier to maintain those priorities in life because you have fewer of those preoccupations. And then third advantage of being single is you have fewer pressures in verses 32 to 34. Notice verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. What can we say about a single person? They are free from concern. What can we say about a married person? They are not free from concern. So if you are single, you are care free. And then notice what he says in the rest of verse 32. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, he's not saying that remaining single will automatically make you care more about the things of the Lord. But he is saying that it gives you that opportunity. You see, a married person is concerned with trying to please his wife. And that's not a new problem, because Paul talks about it here. That's why they're always going around saying, whatever you say, honey. Or when you ask them something, they say, I've got to go home and ask my wife. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. If you're married, you better be concerned about your wife. But the single man doesn't have that concern. You see, he can take all of his concern and direct it to the things of the Lord. His only question is, What can I do to please the Lord? Not what can I do to please my wife. And then look at verse 34. It says, and his interests are divided. And this is the real issue here. He's not saying that single people are more able to please, or I'm sorry, single people are able to please the Lord and married people aren't. He's simply saying that married people have that added responsibility of a wife. Their interests are divided. And let me say this, if you are married to an unbeliever, it magnifies this idea of divided interests. So the single man is able to have single-minded devotion. The married person is divided. John R. W. Stott, great English preacher, was a single man accomplished great things for God. C.S. Lewis was single until he was in his 60s. Robert Murray McShane impacted the British Isles for Christ as a single man throughout his life. And if you want the primary example of being single, it was the Lord Jesus who remained single in his ministry. So marriage is both a great blessing... Amen? And a great burden. It's a burden of care, concern, time, money, prayers, thoughts, tears, love, energy. Because to be truly married means you're giving yourself completely to your spouse. When you're single, you have the opportunity to be totally devoted to God because you do not have those added concerns, those added pressures. Now he addresses the men in the first part of these verses and then in verse 34 he turns around and he addresses the women. He says, The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. That word holy means to be separated. I don't think he's saying here that single people are more holy than married people. I know lots of single people that aren't holy. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying they are in a position to be more separated, not only spiritually, but also physically from the cares of this world. Single women are more able to be set apart to the Lord because they do not have that, that sense of, of uh, divided interests before the Lord. And then notice, um, having said these three advantages to being single, and again, they are fewer problems, fewer preoccupations, fewer pressures, he now addresses three misconceptions About being single. And I want you to pay attention to this. Because single people suffer from the misconceptions oftentimes that married people have about them. And I've listed these for you. First is the personal misconception. And what is the personal misconception about singles? It is that they are incomplete. That they are unfulfilled. That they haven't found their real purpose in life yet and so Paul is going to address that in verse 35 and notice what he says he says this I say for your own benefit underline that word benefit most people look at singles and say poor thing they're missing out Paul says that being single can reap eternal benefit if I direct my resources of unused concern that I would be giving to my spouse if I invest those resources in pleasing the Lord. You see, if I take all my extra time and money and concern and thoughts and love and energy that I would be giving in marriage, and I give it to the Lord, then he says, it's a great benefit. And then look at the rest of verse 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you. Now that word restraint literally means I'm not trying to put a noose around your neck. Now, it's interesting to me. In verse 32, he tells us that single people are free. Back in verse 27, he tells us that married people are what? Bound. You may not like that word, but that's the biblical word. And so he says, single people are free, married people are bound, and now speaking to the single people, I'm not trying to put a noose around your neck, I'm not trying to bind you up as a single person to tell you you cannot marry because if you feel like you should marry, I don't want you to feel that kind of binding around you. And so he says, I'm not doing this to put a noose around your neck, but to promote what is appropriate. Now, I want you to notice this word appropriate because literally it's the word seemly. It's the Greek word, schema. You means well. When we have a eulogy, we logic our our, our logos. We speak well of a person. This is you schema," It means and schema means formed. So this word means well formed, or attractive, or honorable. You see, single people aren't incomplete people running around trying to find their better half. Or they shouldn't be. If I'm concerned about making my singleness, no matter how long it may be, if I am concerned about making my singleness a time of pleasing the Lord, a time of total devotion to the Lord, Paul says, I am attractive, I am honorable, I am well formed. It is an honorable situation to be in. And then he ends verse 35 by saying, and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Did you know that if you're married, it's impossible for you to have undistracted devotion to the Lord? You know why? Because you married a distraction. Your spouse distracts you from being devoted to the Lord. Interesting, this this word distraction is the same word used in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. When Jesus came to the town of Bethany, and he came to eat with Mary and Martha, and when he came into the house, it tells us that Mary flopped down at his feet. Of Martha, it says this. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Hmm. In fact, she was so distracted. Now, she was doing good things. But she was so distracted with all her preparations that she started getting upset with Mary. And so she told Jesus, make her come and help me in the kitchen. And Jesus said this. Martha You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall never be taken away from her. The things of this world, even the necessary things, like cooking and ironing and doing clothes and all those things. Necessary things, good things, valuable things. The things of this world can distract us from our devotion to the Lord. And Paul is saying there's more distraction in marriage than outside of marriage. In fact, let me say this and listen carefully. Marriage makes Martha's out of Mary's. So the first misconception is personally. That misconception that if you're single, you're incomplete. If you're single, you're just half the man you could be. What does Paul say? Paul says, if you stay single to be more fully devoted to the Lord, you are complete. You are well formed. Second misconception Is sexually in verses 36 to 38 and what's the sexual misconception about single people that there's no way they can handle the sexual temptations in this world and so Paul lays out for us in these verses a case study he kind of gets specific and gives us a situation in verses 36 to 38 And it's really hard to tell from the language whether he's addressing a father in relation to his daughter or a man in relation to his fiance. And depending on what your translation is, they they kind of take the freedom to decide for you. What's interesting to me is that either way applies. So let me just explain both of them. Now, my translation, the New American Standard, takes this as a father to his daughter and in that day parents had a lot more to say about their children's marriages than they often do today and so it makes sense if Paul's talking to single people about possible marriage that he would address the parents because in that day they were much more involved now today we we sort of go through sort of traditional rituals but we don't always involve the parents. I mean, it's sort of traditional to go ask her father if you can marry her. And I see that happening more and more today. I had a couple come to me and say, he went and asked my dad, and my dad said no. But we're going to go ahead and get married. And I said, well, then why did you ask him? And I told them, they better slow down. Because if her father is saying no, and he's the person who probably loves her more than anybody else in this world, there's probably some real reasons that you don't see that you need to put the brakes on in this relationship. And they did. They respected his decision. So here, so here he addresses fathers. That shouldn't be unusual because the father should have input. I like that. I got a daughter. I'd like to. Have total control. <laughs> you can put in applications if you want to. Now, most parents' attitude toward their daughter when she's growing up is, "We got to get her married." You know, I don't want her living with me the rest of my life. You know, like, we got to find some anybody. Just get her married. That's the attitude we often see. What's interesting is that as we look at this illustration. The attitude is just the opposite of that. He's addressing a father whose first choice is, and this should be the first choice, his first choice is that he would love to see his daughter remain single so that she could be more devoted to the Lord. This is a father who's looked at these advantages of being single and really desires that, for his daughter. Look at verse 36. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth. Now here's the picture. The father wants his daughter to be single, but now she's past her youth. I think the King James says she's past the flower of her age. She has blossomed sexually. And then he says, if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. She has blossomed sexually, and she's saying to dad, you know, I like your idea about being single, but I don't think I can handle that. And so he says to the father, and of course this is assuming there's a guy hanging around, let her marry. You have not sinned. And then look at verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. Paul says if you make that commitment in your heart to keep your daughter single, and literally there is no necessity, that is, she feels like she can handle that, He says, you do well. So in this case, the answer to the question, who gives this woman, is nobody. He's he's not going to give her. And then look at verse 38. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage, you expect him to say does well also, but that's not what he says. He says, if you give your daughter in marriage, you do well, but if you do not give her in marriage, you do better. Hmm. This is not an issue of right and wrong. It's an issue of good and better. It is better to have a single daughter who's gifted to handle that and able to be totally devoted to the Lord than to have a married daughter devoted to the Lord and her husband. Don't hear that much, do you? That's what Paul's telling us. Now, I think the the NIV makes this a man and his fiance. And if we take it that way, then he's talking about a single fellow who's engaged and he reads these advantages and he says, you know what? I'm going to sign on for that. And Paul says, if you can handle your sexual desires, if your passions are not too strong, go ahead and stay single. But if you can't handle that situation... Then you need to get married. And the neat thing is, he says if you can handle those passions, if you're not burning with passion, as he said earlier in this chapter, and you're able to handle that single lifestyle, it is a better lifestyle than being married. Third misconception. I'm really going to get in trouble after this message. Socially, what's the social misconception about single people? It's this you'll never be happy unless you're married like me. Single people are just unhappy people. We just need to get them all married and then they'll be happy. Look at verse 39. He says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. That's a good good statement here. Except for a couple of exceptions that he talked about earlier in this chapter. You're bound till death do you part. When you are married, you are married. And I think we can sort of almost write another advantage of being single into this statement. Because... I think he's implying that you would be better off to stay single if you have that gift because once you're married, you're married. Once you are stuck, you're stuck. Now, I'm not saying that when you get married, you're stuck. Let me, let me back off of that. Well, some people are stuck. I mean, I've known people that would serve the Lord if their wife would ever let them. They're in a relationship, and it's for life. And they're bound to that marriage, and they are stuck in that sense. And so he says to us here, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. Marriage is for life. So if you're a single person, make that choice carefully. Like the guy who fell in love with the opera singer. Hardly knew her. His his best view of her was with binoculars from the third balcony. But he was convinced that he could live happily ever after married to a voice like that. He scarcely noticed that she was considerably older than he was nor did he notice that she walked with a limp her soprano voice would take them through whatever might come and so after a whirlwind romance and a hurry up ceremony they were off on their honeymoon she began to prepare for their first night together and as he watched his chin dropped to his chest she plucked out her glass eye plopped it into a container on the nightstand. She pulled off her wig, ripped off her false eyelashes, yanked out her dentures, unstrapped her artificial leg, and smiled at him as she pulled out her hearing aids. Stunned and horrified, he gasped, for goodness sake, woman, sing, sing. Marriage is permanent. When you're in it, you're in it. Notice verse 36 again. But if any man thinks, I'm sorry, verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. The death of your spouse ends that marriage and he says you are free to remarry and what is the only condition in the Lord? You have to marry a fellow believer. Now look at verse 40. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. Did you get that? Most people think marriage is Is the means to happiness. Paul says she's happier if she stays single. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this chapter, but it tells us that being single, according to verse 1, is good. Being single, according to verse 28, spares you from trouble. Being single, according to verse 35, is for your benefit. And being single, according to verse 40, makes you happy. That's a pretty good incentive to remain single if you're single. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 40. He says, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now, Paul's not saying here, I, I don't know whether this is inspired or not. I think what he's doing here is he's being sarcastic, because there were those in Corinth who were walking around saying, we think we have the Spirit of God. I think I know what God's will is for you, and I'm going to tell you. Now, some of you who play Cupid, you need to look at this verse, because you may be going around saying, I know what God's will for you is, and it's my nephew." See, Paul addresses that with a little sarcasm, and he says, I have laid out here that actually being single is a better lifestyle if God's called you to that. And then sarcastically says, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. So marriage is God's design for most people. But if you think that God may have gifted you to remain single, there are several advantages. Fewer problems, fewer preoccupations, fewer pressures. You can serve God more effectively. And then I think he adds this last part to say don't be dissuaded by the misconceptions. Personally, you are complete. Sexually, if you can stand firm in your heart, it's better. And socially, you can actually be happier as a single person. Great passage to take those who are single and and raise that position to the honorable position that God gives it in Scripture. Before we close in prayer, I'm going to ask Lauren Williams to come up. Lauren is coming to join our fellowship this morning. And so as she makes her way up, I want you all to watch her. Thank you, Lauren. If you would turn and face everybody and show them your beautiful smile. Lauren Williams, she's come to join this morning. Um, I'm going to ask Bill, if he would, to lead her out to the lobby as I close in prayer. And then when we get done, I'll give you the opportunity to meet her if you haven't and welcome her to our fellowship. Let's pray as they're going out. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word is so practical. It really talks to where many people find themselves. It talks to these kind of issues of whether I should stay single or where, whether I should marry. I just thank you for this chapter that deals with everybody, no matter where they are. Single, divorced, widowed, married. It gives us instructions on how to deal with those situations in our lives. And I thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have guided us in those things. And Father, I pray that wherever each individual today finds themselves, that they would find encouragement from your word to be obedient to you and to experience the joy that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name.